0: WMNF is accepting volunteer applications to be part of our on air team. And welcome, this is Lati night Welcome, welcome to the Soul Kitchen of morning. Design, your P-W- resident w- chef, N-M-M-M-M-M-M. Big Eddie G. Join your favorite voices on 88.5 FM, WMNF.org, and our HD channels. If you've always dreamed of being on the radio, I would love to be on the radio. Now's your chance. Join your listening supported radio station, WMNF. Apply under the programming tab at WMNF.org.
1: Shadows cast by rainbow Don't you go exploring, you got to find some truth. You can't stand one more day of Christians shouting down at you. You say you don't dig politics, that never was yours.
2: Morning. Welcome to another edition of the Sunday Forum right here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. This is your host, Walter L. Smith II, the voice of the Tampa Bay Area, along with my main man, Mobili, of the 4th Estate
0: Crew. Mabili, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. You know, we had a lunar eclipse yesterday. Yes. <laughs> got yes. kind of dark. I thought I was going blind, but it was just <laughs> a lunar eclipse. I'm good. Okay, so you're no longer going blind? No. Okay. All right, all right.
2: Thank goodness. Hey, man, got a lot going on, a lot coming up. Um, we have on next Saturday, we have the um, Carol Camisa Memorial Think Tank, which is an environmental justice think tank that will be going on at 1240 Ray Charles Boulevard, 1240 Ray Charles Boulevard. There we're going to be talking about the issues surrounding the Inflation Reduction Act and the, the the difficulties that people from the black and brown community, especially, are having uh, regarding accessing funds or uh, writing the the grants um, and and trying to bring the federal funding into the community here. That is that's been a very very big big issue. I mean, what what's music What music happening? I'll <laughs> be sure. coming. It's oh, okay. It's coming. Okay, it's coming. Okay. All right. I'm being too demanding. So so so, you know, it's it's very important that people come out because yesterday I was I was out with a, a colleague in the Brandon Regional Library and listened to the stories of people who have what you call energy burdens. And these energy burdens are very serious, very serious. And few people realize the connection between the term energy burden and the actual problem itself right they haven't given it a name and so when you have these types of think tanks that's where that's the time to actually make that connection but we're going to be looking at solutions at the think tank very important looking at solutions about how to deal with the issue of the energy burden and for those people who don't know what an energy burden is is when you have uh, typically at its core it's when you spend more than 60 percent of your income to pay your utility bills um, when you're left at the, at the situation where you have, you have to make a decision between paying a utility bill and putting food on the table. That's a very difficult task, to, uh, a very difficult situation for a lot of people. And a lot of folks are facing that right now. Rising cost of utility bills. And that's not easy. So, hey, listen, next week, again, from 11 to 3, 11 to 3, it's a good time for you to take a Saturday and actually sit there And participate in something like that. Now, um, the the other thing that's happening is you have the restorative justice um, uh, event that's taking place. It's a panel discussion, several panel discussions, where they'll be dealing with the issue of uh, what happens when you come home from being incarcerated? What happens? Uh, What's happening for those people who are incarcerated? Uh, What are the rights that they have? Uh, what rights do they not have? Uh, how do we address those issues and, uh, and you know and, and what's what's to be done about that So today for the first part of the show we're going to discuss that with uh, two of the people who will be on that panel. One is in studio with us this morning and this Mr. Walter Dunn who has been in studio with us before and then we have um, our dear friend Gretchen Casey who will be a facilitator on that day. Uh, so it's gonna be a really, really serious day uh, of, of interesting information that we have got to get to in our community It's critical to our community. Um, so we're, we're gonna get into that in just a few minutes. So another thing that's happening the following the following month, the following month is another toxic bus tour. The Tampa Bay toxic Buster is coming to Tampa again <laughs> again. And this time we're going to look at the issue of um again with the with solutions to the IRA but this time what's happening is we're looking at it firsthand we're looking at what causes these these issues of people getting ill why are we looking at the at uh, public health issues with regard to the uh, one of the points of the induction uh, the the inflation reduction act another thing that we're looking at with the inflation reduction act is the issue of um uh clean energy and climate change right another thing we're looking at is the workforce what does the workforce have to do with climate change what does it have to do with uh with, with changing the way that things are right now in our communities what does it have to do with you the bus tour is a is a very good place to be on that date, which is going to be the eleventh, the eleventh of November, the eleventh of November, which is a Saturday uh, morning from from nine a.m. to three p.m. You don't want to miss it. Lunch is provided, uh, a buffet, a barbecue buffet. As a matter of fact. Oh, really? But yes, <laughs> yes. You
0: better say that. When
2: Billy was, when Billy wasn't <laughs> going to go. Yes, that's a daggone shame. <laughs> it, but Billy wasn't going to go until I said barbecue. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the horses. Stop the presses. Did you just say barbecue buffet? <laughs> yes, Billy, really, I said barbecue buffet. Come on out. Come check it out. Uh, we're going to end up in, in Progress Village. We'll start out at the Dr. Walter L. Smith Library at 905 North Albany Avenue. Um, get there by 830. Board the bus at 9. You uh, go on the tour. And then we'll be back. Uh, no later than three o'clock. Probably a little earlier, but no later than three o'clock.
0: Hey, you made some news out there and some history coming up in Progress Village with the solar panels, right? I try, <laughs> I try, I
2: try. It's it's coming, folks. It's coming. Uh, we have what's called the Green Strike Project, Green Strike, mm-hmm. uh, which is a project that I've been working on um, with the with, with members of a collaborative group. Uh, that I founded called the Tampa Bay Disaster Resiliency Initiative. Mm-hmm. And that initiative is made up of uh, organizations like Sierra Club mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the the Carmina Enterprises and the Black Farmers Collaborative Food and Water Watch and uh, the Urban League uh, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of the, the CDC of Tampa, all of them are organizations that are part of LULAC, LULAC which is the um, the League of United Latin American Citizens, okay, very very important uh, organization headed up here by uh, Brother David Sinclair, very good friend of ours. Uh, but all you know, we, we, uh, Reverend Neely, Reverend Jerry Neely, who's with the Black Farmers Collaborative, mm-hmm. um, Sandra Austin, Doctor Sandra Austin with USF, uh, has been very very helpful. Along with David Carmina, as uh, a part of the the core group around. The Green Project Green Strike. When we created Project Green Strike, it was for the purposes of being able to get around some of the issues that go along with bureaucracy. You know, a lot of times you want you want to get something done. You got to do it yourself, right? All <laughs> dog, we're you know surrounded by idiots. We got to get this done. So you know, and it, 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 it takes a lot to do that. Uh, but it takes determination, and it takes the ability to make that to make that sacrifice whatever that is, uh, to do what needs to be done. And I really appreciate all the work that everybody's put into it. Uh, I don't want to start naming names because I'll miss somebody, but I I want everybody to know that there's a lot that went into it. And and the history part of it is this. Uh, There is not a black community in the entire state of Florida that has had a microgrid, a solar microgrid, put into it. And it is here that the weatherization program a uh, pilot program called Project Green Strike was established in Progress Village, which is the oldest, one of the oldest Black suburbs in Hillsborough County. Mm-hmm. And this will be once the microgrid is put in there, it will make that or that community the very first Black community in the entire state of Florida to have a solar microgrid actually installed. Wow! Yeah, yeah. that's a really powerful move, yeah. and and actually people are catching on to it, and they want to. Have it in their communities. It's taken away the fear of solar, right? Of having solar put in because what's happened is you have energy companies that have tried to talk it down, so they can continue to burn fossil fuels, right? And it's just been a it's just been a real task to to make that transfer. But there are people who are who do have solar who have gone out and testified and said, "Listen, I, my my solar is put on my home properly. It does work." It does make the difference, and there are ways to get it done through the grants and and uh, tax deductions and things like that, uh, tax incentives. Excuse me, that that exist, and everything that's out there in order for you to get this solar
0: uh, power put on your home and cut your electric bill by more than fifty percent. So you know the next historic move you have to make is to get public housing yes. for people to have the same yes solar panels yes. yes. And for the record,
2: uh, public housing does support the, the solar movement, the clean energy solar, solar energy movement. Um, it's just a matter of actually them doing that. So I am um, launching that particular part of it personally. And so,
0: hey, listen, we're on the move. We're on yeah. the move. We're on the move. I Let's mean, I was just talking, but you already on the move. So. On the move, man. <laughs> we're on the way,
2: man. We got we to gotta get it done. You know, Listen, you know, we talked about, we talked uh, last week because it was fund drive, right? Well, yeah. We spoke last week about the issue of self-determination and, and how we talk about this stuff on this show. We don't just talk about this stuff on the Sunday Forum. We're actually out there getting stuff done. We're actually out there getting stuff done, involved in, on the, in behind the scenes and policymaking, uh, influencing those things in a very positive manner to make a better quality of life for everybody in our in our frontline communities especially. So, you know, and if, if people in our frontline communities can have a chance... Uh, to have a better life, then everybody can have a better life, you know? And that's that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So support us. Support the Sunday Forum. Uh, Make sure you call. You can still make your pledge,
0: too, by the way. You can still make your pledge, too, by the way, right? Uh, How do they do that, Mobili? All you have to do is go to WMNF.org and hit the Donate button or go all the way to the Sunday Forum page and hit the tip jar. That's right. You can tip us. We still got a tip job? We got a tip job. <laughs> yeah, Jack. Come on. Check it out. Check it out. And
2: $35, if you make a plate of $35, you can get a Sunday Forum pin. That's right. And that's right. you'll be a member. You'll be an official member yes. of WMNL. Yes. We'll, and, and if that's the case, we can make you, we'll show you the secret handshake for the, uh, well, <laughs> for the, for the state crew. Yeah. That'd be a crew member. <laughs> <laughs> Will we let him, me and Yeah, we'll, know we'll to be, let him do If you think you do it right. Okay. Yeah, I do Secret Handshake right first. <laughs> 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 hey, man, listen. Um, we <laughs> we have fun on this show. We a lot of fun on this show. Um, but we also have a very serious side. Yeah, because um, we talk the blues on the show. Yeah, we're we about, we about to put on the blues now, Jack. So, we're, we're, we, you know, there's a lot going on um, that people need to be concerned about. Um, And I am not going to go to the Middle East right now. There's enough of that being reported. Um, What what I'm talking about right now is what's happening on the continent of Africa. What's happening right here
0: in our communities? Um, what, What do we need to know about us right here, right now? Well, I do want to say one thing about the case of Elijah McClain in Colorado, uh, Prosecutors in Colorado say the two Denver area police officers who put Elijah McClain in a neck hole that took his life and uh, that uh, they ignored his pleas that he couldn't breathe. And he was later injected with a powerful sedative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. you know, I wish I could remember the name of it. I think it was cladamine or something like that. Are you wait? Whoa! What? Yeah, and he was a, a good kid. All he was doing was walking, and some citizen just decided he looked he looked suspicious, and so the police come and not oh. only kill him, or uh, not only wrestle him to the ground, but put put uh, inject him with some drugs. Really? And then he dies later. He's Is pronounced dead three days later. That what we're doing now? Yeah is that, Wow But these two Denver area police officers oh. At least one Was convicted And the other one Got off But they're gonna go after The The um, the ambulance Worker Who injected him
2: Man Unbelievable man Unbelievable Um We, we gotta We gotta get a hold of, of what's going on here We really do This is Getting ridiculous now Um Wow Um let me, let me point out that there is a movement afoot um, that's, led partly, that's partly led by um, Ms. Noreen Copeland-Miller. And they've been in this studio discussing the issue of the cemeteries, uh, the black cemeteries around Hillsborough County and surrounding areas. Last week, we got a phone call from a lady uh, who, actually, um, who actually discussed the fact that there is that same issue in Sarasota. Uh, there is a black cemetery that needs to be discussed and needs to be uh, cared for. And, 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 and there are some there are some real problems around that. That and protecting our communities, uh, our historic communities and historic ways. When I say ways, I mean roadways, parkways, things like that, that people seem to pave over, uh, run over, build over, and so forth, and eliminate and, and, and to, to demonstrate what I'm talking about, uh, right now, Memorial Memorial Cemetery, for instance, has several very uh, famous people in there from our black community. And it is right here in Belmont Heights, only a few blocks away from this studio. And yet there are some difficulties that are going on with regard to its care. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what troubles me about that is the fact that there is minimal work put in that into our communities and our our cemeteries, our cemeteries, right? And just down the street, a little further down the street, is the Italian Cemetery. Now, the Italian Cemetery on 26th Street, just down the street, is well cared for, Mm. right? By the Union Italian. That group goes down there at a certain time and they do what they need to do there, but there's also money that's put into it by our city, Right, so we have to look at the same type of thing for the care of our cemeteries as well. Um, keep in mind the history of the of the Italian cemeteries. The fact that Blanche Armwood, a black woman uh, who was one of our one of our foremost educators here, gave that land to the Italians so they would have a place to bury their dead. That's the truth. That is truth. Is that who Armwood High is named? That is, for, that is the lady for whom Armwood High School is named. And um, her name was Blanche Armwood. So, you know, one of the th- we have to start really um, paying attention to what's happening to things like where
0: our, where our people are buried. We start caring for it. And right? the fact that historically cities have just paved over.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can tell you right now in St. Petersburg... Um, my father my father wrote this book called The Magnificent Twelve, and it was about the 12 historically black colleges, community colleges that existed in the state of Florida. There's not another book about that anywhere else that's ever been written, right? Of, in that book, it describes, um, it, it, it talks about Gibbs Community College. Gibbs or Gibbs Junior College. Gibbs Junior College was a, was a two-year institution that my father actually went to um, because he was a high school dropout. He went there and got his two year degree. Went on to FAMU, got his doctorate, and, and the rest is history. Right? There are a lot of people that did that same type of thing, right? And became leaders of our community. And what what we find is what we found is that um, you have the uh, the president, um, Dr. John Rimbert, who was the president of Gibbs Junior College, actually is buried there in St. Petersburg. In a pauper's grave. Oh, really? Yes, in a pauper's grave. You mm-hmm. understand? They, they, people know where where it is, where his grave is, of course. But you know, there needs to be a headstone there, All right? Right? And 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 we need to identify who these people are and find out and and do what we need to do in order to protect those graveyards and those types of historical points. And we are not doing that enough of that. I think we need to we need to uh, put something, put some real oomph behind that. Uh, and make something happen, make something really seriously happen. So uh, a shout-out to Miss um, uh, Noreen Copeland-Miller and the work that she's doing and the organizations. I don't know all the organizations involved, so please don't get mad at us, but just know that we know that we, we support the effort that's being done. So please push forward on those things. Uh, again, I point out, please come out. To these events that were just uh, announced. I'll announce them later on as well in the second half, the second hour of the show. Um, but I want to get down to this point. Um, we have in on the continent of Africa, a revolution that's taking place, okay? And we're going to talk about this in the second half of the show even more. But I want to point out the fact that we are going to talk about the different, different things that are happening there on the continent and the relevance to us here in the United States. And the us as Africans who are part of the diaspora. Uh, we need to talk about it. We need to be aware of it, and we need to act. We need to act, okay? Um, there are a lot of uh, things that are happening with regard to invasions. Um, there are people that, that are being um, discussed right now out of West Africa into Niger uh, to determine about what's going to happen in terms of stability in that region. Uh, we're talk- we, we have people that are supporting the unification of the continent, which we all, you know, all, it, it, all most Africans are in support of that. When I say most Africans, I mean of the diaspora. Most of us are in are in support of that, but we need to know more about it to really understand what it means to us. Okay, so we'll be talking about it in the second half of the show. Now, now,
1: um,
2: we have a one more thing to talk about before we get into our first topic of the day, and that is. This thing, watch out for this, okay? The anti-intimidation laws, anti-intimidation laws and the like throughout the United States, we want to make sure that that we're watching these types of laws and supporting them the best way we can uh, and giving some real framework to them. One of the problems that we have, and according to USA Today report uh, from Darren A. Nichols, is an anti-intimidation law in Michigan that is brewing and actually it, it's actually being put on the back burner right now why because there are some real issues regarding uh the LGBT community and how some of the framework portions the nuances are are worded in the uh, in the the bill and so uh what what is called officially is the hate crime and desecration acts they were introduced in April of this year by Noah Arbit. Who is a representative uh from Michigan and he is a Democrat. Uh and they and he's pushing this issue, and they have had to kind of put it on the back burner because there was some there were some problems with uh with the nuances, as I said before, uh w- of the wording as it pertained to LGB uh, LGB LG. Ugh. <laughs> I'm I'm tongue-tied, y'all. Sorry. I think we get LG. the point. You get the point. Okay. All right. So <laughs> So, uh, all my brothers and sisters out in the other community, please don't get mad with me, okay? <laughs> I, have, I have those those moments now since I turned 50. I think we're kind of going to this <laughs> this senior moment. Uh, but nevertheless. Um, you take some vitamin B. I'm going to take some of that vitamin B, dog. That vitamin <laughs> B, dog. We're going to get some of that salmon, you know what I mean? And <laughs> start eating more of that because I love that stuff. But hey, listen, but this is something that we need to watch out for in various states. And we need to find a way to assist in in the nuances of these bills and make sure they get passed uh, for the purposes of saving lives, saving lives. Because it all started by a black woman who was in Michigan, who was actually uh, who felt threatened by a neighbor who raised a KKK flag directly next door to her. Hmm. And she felt intimidated, which is why it's called the Hate Crime and, and uh, Desecration Act or anti intimidation laws, right? So these types of anti intimidation laws, we need to watch and we need to find a way to support them in a very constructive manner, okay? So just kind of watch them in your states, uh, in, in the states of your loved ones, okay? All
3: right. Now, that having been said, let's get down to it. Walter Dunn, what's going on, baby? How y'all doing, man? Good morning. Um, You know, it's just an honor to be here. You know, Walt, you know, I I thank you for inviting me down here to the station. Um, You know, I can't say enough about all the great things that you have Going on for yourself, you know, with the environment, you know, and, and bringing awareness with the t- the toxic bus tour, um, you know, to know that you can help a community get the solar panels. Um, is there something that you just don't do? I mean, you know, I, <laughs> so I mean, but you know, it's good. It's good here. Got my though. hands in a little bit or Yeah, he's got his hand in everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, I try to follow in the footsteps of people like you, Wolf. So, um, you know, one thing about you, you stay active in our community, and um, I support that. I respect that. And it's just something that I try to mirror, something that I try to say, hey, Kate, this man has created this type of staple in our community. How can I do something similar? So um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm ready to talk about the Criminal Justice Summit um, and how important it is to our community. All right. All right. And we have also Ms. Um, Gretchen Casey,
2: who's one of the facilitators of the day. Uh, Gretchen, are you there? I am. Well, glad to have you with us here on the Sunday Forum.
4: Well, I am, I, let me just tell you, I'm not someone who reads newspapers anymore. So it is so exciting to listen to the variety of issues that you bring uh, a highlight and an attention to. And all of it is about restoration, restoring things that aren't working, restoring things that need attention, and bringing awareness to your uh, listeners about all these opportunities to make a difference in the community. So I am just sitting here beaming. I wish that, uh, you could just see I got this big smile on my face about all oh, the things <laughs> that you you're really bringing attention to, it, and that's that's really incredible. We need more of that.
2: Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't do it alone. Uh, you know, Mobili is always across the way from me, and uh, we have we have people who give us information all the time that we research and we bring to you every single Sunday, and so we're glad to to talk about this. Uh, this issue of the uh, restored him justice. We, we, we want to talk about that. So uh, let's let's start out um, with let let's start out with you, Gretchen. Since you're on the line, uh, tell us about this this event that's taking place this weekend. Okay.
4: Well, there's an amazing crew of people. The primary person I've been working with is this amazing guy called uh, Don uh, Scott. He doesn't want to be held up as the as he he's like you. He he knows it takes a crew of people. To be able to put off, put on a um, an event like this, and I'm not sure if this is the third or the fourth year. But what it does is the Usually criminal justice
2: hides out. He <laughs> <laughs> <Usually> hides <laughs> out when he's in the studio, to he hides in the corner until he gets excited. and he starts yeah. dancing around and carrying on.
4: Yeah, he wants the spotlight on the issues, not on him. Right, but, right. But what's really exciting about this is that he's brought together a range of people who have their fingers, or their jobs, or their lives have been impacted by criminal justice decisions. And so there's going to be a simulation thing on Friday, but, the, but what we're focusing on right now is the summit. And so there's going to be two panels um, every hour for people to choose, and one of them is going to be restorative justice. But what I would say is that the entire summit is really about restoration, whether it's in um, being able to provide safe and affordable housing, whether it's about the situation for people to ever become um, economically um, and financially um, stable, after they are returning citizens back into communities. And it's also about the impact that criminal justice has not only on individuals, but families, communities, and futures. And so my focus on restorative justice is very, very narrow. Okay. So the kind of restorative justice that I practice is where I bring someone who has caused harm and someone who has been the uh, received harm. You know, we used to use terms like defendant and victim or defendant and survivor. But what we do is we recognize that there is a way, another way, besides just focusing on incarceration, that can bring about real repair to those um, participants, person who's caused harm, person who's received harm. If they choose to want to be in a facilitated meeting that's non-adversarial, where people can talk about their needs, how they've been impacted, both sides, by a conflict, And um, what is needed and necessary to not only repair the harm, but what's really important to have in place for both sides, all sides, afterwards, so that we ensure it never happens again.
2: Right. And and so, you know, as we spoke about this uh, last week, the week before last, excuse me, um, before the fund drive, we spoke about the issue of uh, reformation, reforming, Right. And I think that there's a lot to that. We've had guests on the show who have made the comment that, uh, you know, the criminal justice system is no longer in the business of truly reforming people. And Mm -hmm. that if that if 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 anything, it's more of a what was the term? Uh, that was used warehousing a warehousing Ooh. function. There's it more warehousing than anything else. So now, having having put that out there, having put that out there, um, what what are your thoughts on that? On that, well, I'll start with you, Walter. What, what are
3: your thoughts on that? On uh, the Department of Corrections being a warehouse, being a warehouse <laughs> function. Yeah. Well, um, as opposed to reforming, you know, the criminal justice system is a business, and I think that's the first thing that people don't understand. You know, when you see law enforcement out there, yes, they're out here to protect our communities, but it's a business. They need to arrest people to keep the warehousing going. You know, um, if you look on the state attorney's um, website right now, where Ashley Moody, she, she touts that since 2019, they have a 99% conviction rate. So we're going to do everything we possibly can once we make an arrest to make sure that our warehouse is full whether that's under supervision here because the, the, the person got probation or they went into the Department of Corrections, which housed here in the state of Florida over 80,000-plus inmates. And um, when you talk about reform, you know, it's very important because we, we definitely need to look at laws that have been uh, instituted since the beginning of time. Some of the laws that are still in effect today are from the 20s. So, um, if you understand that the cost of living and vehicles and everything else has changed to keep up with the times, yeah. how come we can't upgrade some of these laws with the times? Because what was an offense to keep a class of people down in that era is still hurting that class of people decades later, and it just need to be reforming. I can't say it enough, enough. that um, you know this Tampa Bay. Criminal Justice Summit is so important to our community. You know, I'm real big on statistics. People who know me know that I get the statistics hot off the press. We have 1.4 million people in the Tampa Bay community. Over 34% of that population was arrested last year. Over 34%? Over 34%. So, so one 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 third, in essence, of our community was arrested last year. So if you say this— When you a, say our community. We're, Tampa Bay community, Tampa Bay area okay, so now let us let's take let's, let's go deeper let's go deeper down. Okay. okay the black community who of that, where are we? um I don't have the specific um, statistic on what the black community is being arrested, but I will say that there are statistics out there that support that the blacks and browns, especially children, are arrested nine times faster than their white counterpart. Most of the people that are going to jail, how old, um, on average? Anywhere from 16 to 25 is the average. Gretchen, what, what are your thoughts on, on
2: this, on what's, what's just been said?
4: Well, I, I completely concur with everything that Walt said. I also would say this. Um, that the, the, the vision of the Florida judicial, judicial branch is that justice in Florida will be accessible, fair, effective, responsive, and accountable. And when you get to each one of these particular words and they define it, they say to be responsive, the Florida justice system will anticipate and respond to all the needs of all members of society and provide a variety of dispute resolution methods. So what we've got to do is not only talk about this problem, but do exactly what you said at the beginning of the show, which is, we need to be talking about solutions. If we're going to call something the Department of Corrections, I think what most people want is do that. Offer rehabilitation, offer mental health counseling, offer incredible job skills training in every institution. If we're going to put people in institutions, and I do agree that we've got to, we don't want to have a a pipeline for people to not only project themselves or be projected into a criminal penal punishment justice system but we also there has to be a way out there has to be a way where we have better expungement greater incentives for people to be able to be um their sentences uh if uh, to be reduced and i think restorative justice is one of those ways i think i'm not saying it'll ever replace the criminal justice system but there are people that i i've been a victim advocate since 1985 i've been around um for a while okay And so when I say I've worked with thousands of human beings and uh, I've worked over 500 homicide cases as a victim advocate is that we have to recognize that until we repair people, things are going to repeat. Now, that means also repairing um, inequitable laws and practices. and, And so I want accountability for everybody. I want accountability from the courts. I want accountability from the state attorney's office and the public defender's office and jails. And probation officers and individuals and families because i think that what happens is that people both want and benefit when there is both individual and system-wide accountability and we've got to put the focus instead of punishing on simply attempting to repair the harm to people and their relationships with themselves and others and we have to rebuild trust and safety in our communities and that's what every single one of those um, efforts that you talked about at the beginning of the show as well as the criminal justice summit is about how do we rebuild trust and safety in both the legal systems, individuals, families, and communities that have been harmed and impacted by criminal justice policies and procedures.
2: Well, that's that's. A, a, I'm glad you pointed. You gave those specific points. Are we really? Is, is it really? Is it really the criminal justice system really doing those things? Is it really fair? Is it really um, trying to be fair? Is it really distributing justice um, fairly? Are we really rehabbing people? Because, for instance, my, my observation would be we look at the normal, normal, air quotes, high schools, right? The ability to make money, uh, or to have a living wage if you are not going to go to a university or college is through vocational training, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so once that was taken out of the schools, what, of public schools, what happened? We now have a a, a whole generation, several generations, actually probably three um, generations of people who now are coming out of school, who have no skills, no real skills. <laughs> and, 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 and to prove that point, the, when I ran for office, one of the issues was to create a stronger workforce. Now, you know, people talked about it, but I actually had worked in it and actually trained people to go into the workforce in a myriad of different areas. The problem that we faced was the funding, the funding was coming from federal bodies and not from local bodies. It was coming more from federal bodies than local bodies across the board. And I, I, I you know, historically up until now, I know Louis Vieira, uh, city councilman Louis Viera, has pushed um, the apprenticeship program and, and apprenticeship opportunities. Uh, I know that you have organizations that have Certain, um, certain programs that they've started by way of, again, federal funding. But I've, I've yet to see where we as a local body, county or or, or a city, have actually uh, invested, in, and I mean truly invested, in the vocational training of people So that so there's so that we are not having recidivism number one, because I want to get to recidivism at some point um, in this discussion, recidivism and to keep them out from the the keep people out of jail to begin with. The the evidence that I was going to point out to, by the way, I got sidetracked on that is the fact that you had more. We were addressing the issue of the fact that there were more people who were being brought from out of state or out of town to come and take jobs that were located in town. And so that meant that we have a whole new population of people who are coming in to take those jobs and then you have another another population that was jobless. That's a problem. Now, having presented that, I want to go back to you on that one, Gretchen. Well, I think that
4: you, you, you bring up a, a, a range of issues that need attention. And I think that when we have a vision for the criminal justice system <clears throat> that says that it's going to be these things accessible, fair, effective, responsive, and accountable, I believe that when that's the vision of the Florida Judicial Branch, then let's hold people accountable. Instead of only saying, hey, people who break a law, they got to go to prison or they got to go to jail, is I want everybody to be accountable. Now, when it comes to recidivism and all these other things that are that impact people's daily lives, I think that what I 'm not saying it 's easy, but I, I really believe it's this simple: what we don't repair repeats, and that's true of systems, prison systems, that 's true of the accountability of police, that's true of individuals, so there's both individual and collective responsibility. But I would say this: that which we don't repair repeats. Mm-hmm. So if we want to open the door wider for people to be able to, say, have employment, then let's do that for public safety and for the trust that there are people who've gone to jail or prison. And you know what? They can come back, and they can, and they are responsible citizens. Are 100% responsible? No. Why is that? Well, generally, they don't have a means to be able to, to have a job. Many people may have other co-occurring issues and struggles as a result of whether it's generational or um, trauma or um, mental health issues perhaps it, it may be substance abuse and if we don't make the door wider for people to be able to return as citizens into communities where there is support waiting for them there is job training there is an opportunity to make a living wage there is safe housing then let's not be surprised if they return to the very things whether well, let's just say one one i'm not saying this happens with the multitude of people but whether it's the sale or distribution or use of drugs let's not be surprised if people return to the behaviors when there is still nothing or doors that are open and for them to be able to have a safe living experience in tampa or Gainesville or anywhere in florida all of us re- re- require and depend upon the support of others none of us are islands mm-hmm. so if we don't open the door a little wider for people, whether it's through job training, whether it's through returning citizens needing um, access to mental health treatment. Where, why would we expect people to be able to live with the, the, the financial challenges, the, the daily living demands, that uh, transportation, the ability to have um, access to a job where they get a, a living wage? Why would we expect the outcome to change? Of course, we are then creating a return-to-prison pipeline. And so that's why I think a focus like the Criminal Justice Summit in Tampa can bring together leaders, people who have been impacted by these laws, individuals that have been elected, policymakers, public defenders, uh, prosecutors, to come together and say, let's just not talk about it, but let's focus on what's working, and let's really focus on what's not working. And then we can have a change in our community. Then we can have an awareness of how certain policies and procedures impact people in ways that can sometimes destroy their lives permanently. And why would we want to be a part of that? When instead, invite people? every single one of us. If 34% of people in Tampa have been arrested last year, if, that was, if I'm correctly stating that, the statistic Walt gave. Then it's not just those people that were impacted. It's their family members. It's their kids. It's their employers. You it's know, their neighbors. It's their landlords who now they now they're they're not able to pay their rent because they're they're sitting in jail, not making a, having a job. Why would we want to do that?
3: You know, you you said something so powerful, and I just gotta. Um... First, I got to stop you because, you know, people need to know that what does not get repaired will repeat. And like, you know, that is just resonating with me because it's so true. And I can't wait to meet you on uh, Saturday to be able to shake your hand and take a photo with you. But, you know, the the community does need to know that Um, if you're not setting people up to be successful, failure is 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 inevitable. It's going to happen. And the thing is, is that a lot of people, which is good because the simulator on Friday shows what a person coming back from incarceration looks like and some of the barriers or steps they have to go through. And one of the things that I think about is for our community, Hillsborough County, when a person is released from incarceration, they have to check in with law enforcement and register as a felon within 24 hours of being released so if you get released on like a Sunday, you, you got to be there on a Monday. If you get released on the uh, Tuesday, you have to be there the next day. And in that moment, once the felon register in our community, at that moment, it's our community's responsibility to help them find a job. And I think there are some provisions like Walt was saying, you know, we need to have more trade and vocational training in the Department of Corrections. We need to be releasing, uh, you know, these returning citizens back to our community with some type of trade, they can go get a job, some type of certification that they can get a job. But more importantly, why is it as a community that once we have the felon registered with the, the sheriff's department, why is it that the sheriff's department or, you know, um, a collective group at that moment says, what certifications do you have? We can go ahead and get you an interview over here at such and such place. And that's how you have to do it. Because if you don't give people who are returning citizens a job, They're going to go back to what they know, or they're going to lose, you know, they're going to have mental health problems and and break down because they can't financially survive in in, in the Tampa Bay community. And we don't want crime to continue to go up. We don't want the recidivism number to stay where it's at or rise. We truly have to help people. And I can't can't support that statement enough. If you don't repair something, it's going to repeat itself. Yeah. You know, when we look overseas. um, Uh,
4: and But that's, that's true not only of people who've been incarcerated, it's true for us, those of us who've, who've been in conflict. Think about every single one of us where we've been involved in a conflict where someone was harmed, maybe by our words, maybe by our actions, maybe by physical violence. There's, a, there's an impact to people and there's an impact to relationships. And if we don't start focusing on repairing people who've been harmed, both our, our only relationship with ourselves but others, and if we don't recognize we have to repair relationships between police between communities that you know every single um, probation office should absolutely be connected with with a job service you know wherever you uh, whatever uh, community uh, organizations provide um, assistance with job training every single probation office that's where they should be tied to they should be connect mental health services should be part of every single probation office every single person who needs help and doesn't get it tends to fall back on the very same behavior that is familiar because they, they, they may, may not have been at, had access to resources and support that is there that can, exactly what you said, encourage success rather than let's just keep um, giving opportunities for people to fail. Let's set them up for failure. And, and that's not – we can't be like that anymore. We, we, it's not working. My observation community safety. It doesn't it doesn't make public safety increase when we do that.
2: Gretchen, my my observation has been that you have okay, so one of the biggest mistakes that that, that's made typically is you put a person right back into um, the situation that they were in before they left, before they went into the institution. When once they're institutionalized, they're back in that same position again, same community. And the actions of those who are probation officers quite often are the actions that say they're, they're like, "aha, I caught you." you know, aha, you, you know, now I got you, now you gotta go back. you know and that, and that's what my observation has been. very little uh, and, and when something is is presented to them because I've actually presented this as an option for them. Why don't you do something to put somebody in a program? That's going to be conducive to them not going back uh, well because they don't really want to do anything uh, wait, wait a minute, hold on, hold on How do you know that or because because most of your t- most of the time that I've seen these people act and I've had these conversations with people with friends of mine who actually are in the probationary office and I'm like, you know dude what are you doing like like your your effort seems to be to catch these people. In something so that you can put them back in. I don't, you know, I don't understand. Instead of instead of it being, all right, I don't want to see you back in this office again. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get you. We're gonna help you to get into a program, uh, whether it's a drug rehab program or whether it's a to, con- to an alcohol program, whatever it is that might, if it's substance abuse, that keeps them to doing what they're doing, whatever it is, to make them whole. Is I'm gonna tell you something. People frown on it, people get mad about it, whatever it is, you get mad all you want to. But the Nation of Islam, for instance, has always has historically since 1932, has done a tremendous job in taking people off the streets, especially black folks, or, well, black folks off the streets, and getting them rehabilitated, putting them in situations where they are no longer uh, on drugs, alcohol, or anything else. And they are clean, right? Um, and, and in many instances, they provided that for them. Uh, you know, I admire that. I admire that. And I, I've, actually, I've actually sent students uh, who were in danger, who were at risk, to the Nation of Islam in order to introduce them to the Brother Minister Chad Muhammad in order to get uh-huh. them out of trouble and keep them out of trouble, you know? And they are still members, and they have changed their lives forever.
0: Well, we ran it out of time, but I do want to give a statistic. Uh, Walter Dunn was right in, his, uh, in, in, in the numbers. There are 95,622 people in Florida's prisons as of 2018. And f- black people are, what, 17% of the state's population, but represent 47% of the prison population. Nearly half. Mm-hmm. And jails are no different. Thirty-nine percent in jail. So, you know,
3: yeah. I, I will say this too. Um, you know, I'm big on reform, but you know, when I do my speaking engagements, I always tell people, you know, anybody could put out a forest fire. It takes smart people to prevent them. Mm. Mm. Well, can listen.
4: I? I know you. We're going to have to move on. I just can I share one little thirty-second story? Sure. Okay. So um, I, I do a lot of speaking out to lots of different